Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about feelings. Now, sometimes my kids will tease me and say, Dad, when you're at work, do you pretty much just ask people all the time, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? And we tease about it and joke about it because the truth is, is I do a lot of talking about feelings. It's pretty important. And so, as you can imagine, the children of a therapist probably get a lot of that in their home, but it's important. Feelings matter so much. In fact, feelings are such a big deal. They drive everything. They have such a huge impact on our individual and relationship well-being, and they drive a lot of the decisions that we make, and they really determine the outcomes of how we just handle everything that comes at us, how we respond to it. And emotions are just such a big deal, and I'm really excited to talk about them today more in depth with my guest. In fact, let me just introduce you to my guest right now. Her name is Michelle Mays, and she is a licensed professional counselor and a certified sexual addiction therapist supervisor. And she's the founder and clinical director of the Center for Relational Recovery located in Northern Virginia. And she also is the founder of Partner Hope. And she's got over 20 years of experience working with sexual addiction, betrayal trauma, childhood trauma, other relationship issues, and does a lot of online writing and work and resources, workbooks, courses, workshops to help support people dealing with addiction and betrayal trauma. And uh, she's written a couple of books even. The Aftermath of Betrayal, and uh, another one called When It All Breaks Bad, 10 Things to Do and Not Do After Betrayal. So today, Michelle and I in our interview are going to talk about like the importance of feelings, why they matter, emotions, and the differences between men and women, and, and how we're socialized differently to deal with emotions and feelings, how family patterns affect things, and really what we can do to make more space for our emotions. Not only just understand what we're feeling, but also how to care about what other people are feeling and how to nurture that in our families and our children. Emotions and feelings, they're just so important. They, they determine so much of the quality of our lives, our mental health, our physical health, our relationship health. So getting a real understanding of emotions and how they can work for us instead of us fighting them or working against them all the time is a great adult task, I'll tell you what. It's something that I'm constantly working on 
as I have new experiences, new discoveries in my life, it brings up new emotions and surprises and other things that I need to get curious about. It's added so much richness to my own life to understand my own emotions. And so it's something that I'm excited to talk about with Michelle and share with all of you today. So let's jump right into my interview with Michelle Mays. Well, welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be with you here. Let's talk about feelings and emotions and talking about emotions. Why do you think the, you know, our, our feelings and our emotions matter to our well-being? What's their purpose? Why do we have them? Like, what's all this fuss about emotions? Mm-hmm. Well, so when I think of emotions, I think of them as the primary building block of our human experience. Hmm. Because every emotion has an action tendency built yes. into it. And so when we feel an emotion, that's what drives how we behave. That's what drives who we are in relationships, in the world. And so if you don't know about your emotions, if you don't know what's happening, you're literally walking around with a massive handicap because it is going on inside of you. Even if you don't know about it, it's going on. And then it's driving how you are behaving. It's driving how you experience the world. It's literally driving your entire human experience. Right. So it's foundational to what goes on for us as human beings. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, let's go, let's go back to something you said. I think that's, that's such a cool phrase. I love that. It's, it's very common in, in emotionally focused therapy that, that I know mm-hmm. we both studied, which is the action tendency thing. Can you explain more specifically, maybe give some examples of what that means, that every emotion comes with its own action tendency? With an action tendency. In yeah. Now, so for example, let's say you go to the office and you happen to have an interaction with your colleague, not a big interaction, just a little one, or you're on Zoom as we are on now, yeah, right? Right. You have an interaction with your colleague and there's something a little off in it to you. Somehow you feel like there's not a really good connection with this colleague. You're going to then have emotions happen inside of you. You might have a little anxiety happen. You might have a little worry about it. You're going to have something happen inside of you. And then that is going to impact, let's say, your next conversation with the person. Let's say you come back and have another conversation an hour later, and you've had this feeling inside of you from the first one, and now it impacts how you come back and have the second one. Right. So every emotion that we have, whether that's joy, joy impacts how we express it. We bring people closer often when we feel joy. We want them to come close to us and enjoy it with us. Whereas if we're angry, we often want people to go away from us. So every emotion has within it an action. It moves us in a direction in our relationships. It either moves us toward or it moves us away in some manner. So it always has like an influence on what direction we're going relationally with people. Right. And to not understand what to do with that, it's almost like the engine's going all the time, right? But there's there's no steering, there's no gear shift, there's nothing like that, right? Nothing's engaging. And mm-hmm. and so the emotions can, can I mean, the, the inaction or, or pressing down and trying to not take action on these emotions is harmful to us. Yeah. Well, and I think what it creates for people is an unconscious life. Mm. So what I mean by that is, you're doing life, you're going through life, your you're, life is happening, but you aren't aware of your inner world. 
And so because you're not aware of your inner world, you're not really aware of why you're making the choices you're making, how you tend to operate relationally, the patterns that you have, that we all have, that we are in relationally. You're not in awareness about them. You're unconscious about them. And when you're living your life in an unconscious way, life can be confusing. It can be surprising. It can be, you can kind of wonder why things happen the way they happen. So being aware of your emotional world and your inner world is enormously important for being able to choose and construct your life and your relationships in the way that you want them to go. Right. Both externally and internally. Yes. So you can have different outcomes, but also even just organize and understand even what's actually even happening to you in real time. Yes, exactly. Like why, when you go back and have the second conversation with the colleague, mm-hmm. does it not go really well? If you don't know, well, I had anxiety and I felt like maybe they were being cold to me. So when I came into this conversation, I was a little cold to them. If you're unaware of all of that, now you've just got some weird relational interactions happening and nobody's talking about it, but it is happening. So it's the difference between consciousness and unconsciousness with our emotional world and our inner world that makes the huge difference for us in terms of how we get what we get to choose and how we get to influence our own lives and relationships. I love that distinction. I love that distinction because it's it's like the emotions the emotions are going to happen. Yes. Right. We don't get to sort of choose whether or not we're emotional or not. And I think some people I know tell me, Jeff, I'm just not emotional. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, challenge that gently because, but I love what what we can choose is our level of consciousness or awareness about it to our benefit or detriment. But it's, but the emotions are coming no matter what. Yeah, the emotions are there. Mm-hmm. And we all do different things with them. Yeah. But they, they are definitely happening to us because you're alive and breathing. And culturally, like I said at the very opener, like where I said, like, oh, yeah, emotions, uncomfortable. I mean, I, you're right. I love the distinction you said. It depends on which ones. You're right. But most of us are uncomfortable with negative emotions. Why do you think that is? Like, why culturally? And I know that's kind of a big question in every family culture. And, you know, there's all kinds of layers to this. But Overall, it seems like it's a pretty safe stereotype to say most of us are trying to avoid negative emotions or uncomfortable emotions or however you want to call it. What do you think is going on there? I think negative emotions are hotter, if Mm. that makes sense. I think they are harder for us to hold. And then, so I think harder for us to hold just within our own physiology. You know, there are hotter emotions within our own physiology. Like a hot potato. Yeah. And then when I say physiology, I mean within our own bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And our bodies are walking around in a context, right? We're all living in a context. Yeah. And our cultural context is one in which we don't provide a lot of room or support for negative emotions publicly. We may say, you know, go in your room and write in your journal and feel that, you know, but we do not collectively do a lot with negative emotions. We don't know how to collectively grieve. We don't know how to collectively be in sadness. We don't know how to collectively be angry in a constructive way. So we don't have modeling for how to do this. So it's overwhelming for our bodies. They're hotter emotions. They're harder for us to hold individually. And then we don't have a context that helps us hold them. Right. Because the context is really just made up of individuals who can't hold it either. Correct. Right. And then boom, 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 out 
it yeah. spreads out across the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I, and I think maybe even just as a, as a side point here that, you know, to my listening audience, as you're thinking about, well, that doesn't sound very like optimistic or hopeful, you know, that we don't have a context for that. I believe it's possible to change the context in yourself and in your mm-hmm. own family environment. If you're living in a, you know, with children or, you know, that you, there's a lot we can do. And hopefully in the course of our conversation today, Michelle, we can maybe help our listeners understand what they can actually do to create a more supportive environment inside themselves, but also with those, their loved ones to make it easier to hold the whole range of emotions. Absolutely. And I think what comes up for me when you say that is it is contagious Mm. when we do show our emotions to others. Mm, I love that. It's contagious. So if you, you notice that like you take a risk in a conversation and you show vulnerability, you talk about something that's hard or painful or sad for you. Many, many, many times the person reciprocates by sharing something that's sad, hard or painful for them. So there is a contagiousness to this that is very hopeful in terms of being able to go out into your world, into your relationships, your family, your significant other, your friendships, and start changing the way the relationships happen by taking risks yourself with your own inner world and allowing people to know a little bit more about what's happening in, inside of you. Yeah, like one person can make a difference. You don't have to wait for yeah, everyone you around you. Change. Yeah. You don't have to pass this podcast on to everybody. Make sure they all check off on it before you start <laughs> sharing. <laughs> yeah, not necessary. <laughs> and in terms of, so in terms of other, other cultural change, I mean, just even in terms of just male, you know, men and women, you know, just sort of generalizing again, but I know there's a lot of socialization around emotions for, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about man code or things like that. What have you seen just in your experience with how would you articulate those differences in terms of the rules that, you know, that men and women are, are given around emotion? You know, I think it feels to me like somebody basically took the entire range of human emotions and split them in half and said, you guys are allowed these ones and you guys <laughs> are allowed these ones <laughs> and, and you may not cross. That's right. You know? so I love that. We've sort of said, you know, men are allowed to feel angry. Men are allowed to be assertive. Men are allowed to feel jubilant. Men are allowed to feel, they're allowed to express success in overt ways. They're allowed to express a lot of these positive, stronger emotions, if I can use that word. Sure. They can't express the softer emotions. So we don't want to see anxiety. We don't want to see sadness. We don't want to see uncertainty. We don't want to see doubt or fear from men as much. That is not well in the same way. So I think there's a lot of socialization for men around that. For women, women are allowed to show sadness. And they're allowed to show fear and they're allowed to show happiness as long as it doesn't get too big, but they're not allowed to be angry. Women are not allowed to be angry and women are not allowed to be too jubilant or too celebratory Mm. and excited about success. So it's a very interesting the way it's been split and the way men and women are socialized around those emotions and what's allowable and not allowable for each gender. Yeah. I love the way you put that. Mm-hmm. That just resonates so deeply with me as a man and being married to a woman, having a daughter, 
growing up with four sisters and a mother, like and just, just the, the women and the men I've been close to in my life, it just fits so well. And it is kind of a head scratcher, isn't it? <laughs> it is a head scratcher because it it's just, it's eliminating the humanity of all of us. Right. Reducing the humanity of each one of us in different ways. Yeah. But it's robbing us of the full human experience and saying, this part of your human experience is not welcome. Yeah. So you need to tuck it away somewhere and not let it come forth because because we're not we're not going to be happy with you if you do. So it's really diminishing everybody mm-hmm. in different ways. Yeah, and I also see it as an invitation mm-hmm. in terms of what work you know as a man or as a woman you know what we would need to do, like you said, to fully embody the the human experience and have have permission yeah. to feel and express all of those with our mm-hmm. sons, with our daughters, with ourselves. Yeah, I love that and. I don't know that there's more I want to say about the gender part on that because I, I really do feel like, you know, if you're listening and, and you're relating to some of this, you know, I think there's maybe just a good self-check there about, you know, am I allowing myself to feel and express those? I mean, so much of the work I do, especially around with men, is helping them um, go that direction. And for women, especially women that have been betrayed, to allow themselves to feel angry, to allow themselves to, mm-hmm. you know, you know, have some of these more assertive emotions that protect them. Yeah, yeah. I would say because I'm working in the same area that you are, and what I see for both men and women is when they're working on that, they do better with support around them. Yeah. So they do better working on it with other people who are working on it too. Mm-hmm. I know, for example, we run a ton of groups at the counseling center, and the men in there are regularly working on how to actually know about what's happening inside of them. And then once they know about it, to share it so that it isn't just internalized that to then share it with one another, share it with their spouse, share it with their children, share it with their friends. They're working on that. But there's something about having other people working on it with you that gives you permission to do it. Absolutely. If we're, if we're in a culture where it's not really loved the when we do it, we need other people around us saying, yes, it's okay. I'm doing it too. We're all learning how to do this together. And same with women who are working on their piece of it. They need people around them supporting them and giving them permission and giving them support to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's powerful. Yeah, I attend a men's group every week, just a men's like share group actually. And having that, it's been life-changing for me, even though as a therapist, I work with this a lot and I feel like I'm more aware than probably I would be if I weren't doing this kind of work. But having that support, I, I can absolutely confirm that. And there's there's so many places now to do that for men and women, thankfully. Yeah, it is growing. It, it, there's a growing understanding about this. Yes. And I think that's really helpful. And there's growing permission yep. culturally. Yep. And so I think we're changing. This is changing. And I'm so glad it's changing. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I think, I think there's something too about just permission for it to be hard, you know, and permission for it to be scary. Right. So like, again, in my men's groups, what I see is like the struggle to learn how to be connected to your emotional world when you haven't been, when you weren't raised that way. And it's hard work. And so just permission for it to be hard, permission for it to be something that you have to learn, something that doesn't come naturally to you, all of that without any kind of shame or judgment about it is really important too. Yeah, absolutely. And we really need each other. I mean, I know John Gottman talks a lot about accepting influence in marriage and, mm-hmm. and how, you know, th- that learning and, and ex- experiencing like someone else's, 
you know, emotional reflexes and what they're comfortable with can really influence and help us. I I know that that's been the case in my own life, in my relationships, that watching other people who can embrace those emotions easily, more easily. If I let myself, you know, like you said, feed off their courage, let it be contagious, it's just made a huge difference. And so a lot of people wonder where to start with this. Like, well, if I'm just sitting on a bunch of emotions, I don't know what to do with it, or I have no self-awareness. There's people around you probably that are doing something with it. Yeah, there's people around you that are probably also working on this. Yeah. And, you know, there's an entire online world now to tap into too. So if you feel like, well, there's really nobody I know of in my immediate world, there's resources online to tap into. And then there's ways that you can just start to work on it within yourself. It's sort of building the connection back inside of yourself from your head to your body because emotions happen in the body. So it's really building the connection and the awareness. It's like a muscle. You just have to work the muscle over and over and over again. So like a tool that I give a lot of my clients is to set their phone or their watch to beep at them five times a day. Mm -hmm. And as it beeps at them throughout the day, their job is to just stop and check in with their body and ask themselves, what am I feeling right now? Just that. Just just that. What's happening in my body? What am Mm -hmm. I feeling? And the the repetitiveness of doing that builds the muscle. I love it. It builds the muscle of awareness. It builds the muscle of, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, my body is here. What is happening inside of me? I've been like spending two hours in front of my computer, like a disconnected head, just thinking, (laughs) you know, and oh, yeah, I have a body. So let me actually find out what's happening. And that exercise and doing that over and over and over again, starts building that muscle of awareness and connection down into the emotional body from the mind. Yeah, I love that. I know the uh, the Apple Watch, I used to have one and it had like a, a little breathing reminder, yeah. right? And that that's built in, I guess. And that could be a, another signal. But even if you set an alarm or use your watch, or it's, there seem to be a lot of prompts these days about stopping us, slowing us down. And that's mm-hmm. a great opportunity, like you're saying, to be fully embodied and not just ahead. I totally relate to the head thing. That's hilarious because... I feel like that a lot. The when you vocalize it, I thought, oh my goodness, that's exactly how it feels. I feel like I'm just a head walking around looking at screens. <laughs> I know. There are days when I'm like, I feel like I was an air traffic controller today. Yeah. And it was all happening in my brain. And now I just find out like what's happening in the rest of me. Yeah. How do I get down in there and be connected to my whole self? Well, and I, I love that. It, it, to me, it's almost like dipping your, your cup into the well. It's like, it's like the water's flowing all the mm-hmm. time. There's movement. There's stuff going on in our bodies. It's more just an exercise in awareness and and intentionality around it. Yeah. And again, it's okay if that's a weak muscle at Mm -hmm. the beginning, right? Because many of us were not raised in a way where we were connected to that or learned how to do that or learned how to be in awareness. So it's okay if it's, it's not something that comes natural or that when you start to try to practice it, you're like coming up empty. Don't know. Yeah. Can't tell. This is weird. You know? Yeah. That's okay too, because mm-hmm. it's just about learning to just even send your curiosity down to your emotional self. Mm. And eventually you're going to keep doing it, keep doing it. And then you're going to be like, oh, I feel this. This is what's happening. It's going to connect. It just may take a little time if you're not used to that and haven't done that. Okay. There's a little meme quote right there, guys. So listen up. I'm going to say it again. Send your curiosity down to your emotional self, right? Frame Mm -hmm. that. That's it, right? That's a great directive right there. Send your 
curiosity down to your emotional self because it's it's mm-hmm. just waiting to be tapped into and it's sitting there yeah. yes. active and moving. I love it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about family patterns. Family is really where we learn how to organize and recognize and manage and deal with emotions because we were born emotional. Babies, I mean, yeah. right? We, we In the womb, I mean, baby, we feel emotions. So how do family patterns affect how we do emotions? Yeah, so I, I love what you're saying that we're born emotional. And if you think about a toddler mm-hmm. and you think about the way that a toddler can run around the world laughing hysterically playing they're <laughs> laughing 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 they trip they fall and they are howling like the world is ending <laughs> and then they get up and the next minute they're laughing again yeah and this is their whole day <laughs> you know, this, is their whole, this is their whole world yeah right and that's how connected we all are to our emotional selves mm. when we're born. We all start there. We all start in that place of connection. And then depending on what's happening in your family and how your family deals with emotion, you're going to learn to do different things with your emotional self. And you're going to learn to do different things based on maybe needing to cope with certain things in your family or maybe certain emotions aren't welcome in your family, or maybe only one person in your family is allowed to have certain emotions. Like maybe only dad's allowed to be angry or only mom is allowed to be sad or, you know, whatever it is, there can be rules, unspoken rules about how we handle emotions in the family. And whatever those rules are, you as a child start to adapt to them and you start to learn, Oh, I need to not, I need to not be sad. You know, when I'm sad, I need to hide that away because in my family, it's not welcome. When I'm sad, I either get ignored or I get shamed or I get told that I'm not really sad. Mm-hmm. You know, I get told I get told that that's not a feeling that I even really have. So whatever's happening in the family around emotions, kids are then learning. This is how I handle these different emotions. And when certain emotions are not welcome or certain emotions or are shamed or certain emotions are not tended. Again, remember the negative emotions are hotter, right? They're, they're hotter for us. So when we don't have tending and we don't have parents who help us deal with this hot emotion, we just basically say, I need to stop feeling these, mm. right? These are too much for me and my little body. So I'm going to stop feeling them or I'm going to learn to cope in other ways rather than being connected to my emotional self. And then that, again, Everybody has their own story of how they're shaped by this, but it shapes you over the lifespan and over the, then into your adult life of how you handle your emotional self in relationships. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I love that. It is such a, I guess, an exploration and understanding ourselves by, you know, not going on some witch hunt to blame parents or other people for how we experience emotion, but to more make sense of our own reflexes. Yeah, no, because this is coming down intergenerationally. Absolutely. They were, they were, your parents were raised by person, people who had their own, you know, right, right. their own ideas about this. So it's not about the blaming of the parent. It's about looking at the impact that it's had on you. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if, if you grew up in a family, because, you know, I've, I've talked with people like you have who grew up in families where emotions were welcomed and nurtured and understood and used to make things happen. It was, mm-hmm. but I think that's more rare. I think it's more rare. 
but I do see people doing it better. Yes, I agree. I think it's happening more now than ever, yeah. which is super mm-hmm. cool. But for, you know, for those people who are listening, who are like, yeah, I did not win the emotional processing lottery in my family. <laughs> and I ended yeah. up with a lot of restricted emotion or a lot of, you know, a lot of even chaotic or out of control, emotional regulation, dysregulation. Where do, you know, conscious, intentional people who really want to do something different and change the direction on how they deal with emotions in their own lives, but especially creating space in their own families, in their marriages, in their children's lives to start changing the tide on this? Where do you see it's helpful to start with something like this? Well, I think you said a word in there that's really important, which is the word space. Mm. Because I do think that one of the biggest things working against, let's say you as a parent, are you really want to do this differently with your children. You really want to do it differently with yourself. You want to learn this and do it differently. The thing that's working against all of us is we're so pressured time-wise. Yeah. And emotions, having our emotions take time and space. Mm, so true. It takes time and space in relationship. It takes time and space inside of us. We actually have to put something down and tend to ourselves. We have to put something down and have a conversation. We have to put something down and notice what's happening with our child or our partner. It takes time and space to do that. And so I think the starting point is to sort of recognize, I've got to make time and space for that. I've got to let it be a priority that when I'm feeling something, when I see my child feeling something, when I see my partner, that I'm checking in about this and that I'm recognizing that this is going to take room. It takes up room to be an emotional human being. And we've sort of gotten so busy in our lives that we've almost cut out emotion, you know, in order to keep going and get things done and be productive. And so I think that's a real starting place for families is to recognize we're going to prioritize this and we're going to give it room and space, both individually and between one another in how we do it. Yeah. So in a really concrete way, that would look like what? Like if you were sort of watching a replay of a family, a parent, or even in a marriage who were creating this kind of space, what would you see? So this could be, you know, you've got a kid who has had something happen, you know, in their life, and you can tell there's stuff churning around inside of them. And you also have a deadline or a place that you have to be that evening, and you don't have a lot of time for them. And you also need to get dinner. You need to get them fed before you go. So you've got kind of this list of things you're trying to move through. But you can see that your child needs tended. They need their emotional world tended. So some of it is making a choice in that moment to either prioritize it in that moment or know that you are going to come back when you have the moment and tend it. Mm. You're not going to just let it go by. You're not going to just know they'll be okay you know, oh, two hours from now, they're in a good mood again. So now I don't need to go back and ask about this. You know, it's sort of knowing, no, I still do have to go back and ask. I still do need to inquire. I still do need to tend. I think that word tend, tending emotions is a big word to think about. And so it's just knowing I'm going to tend to this when I see it and give it the time and attention to that and move things around in the schedule or whatever so that I can. Yeah, I love that. that's a great example. And I love the permission that you added in there to not feel like you have to tend to it 
in the moment. You can tend to it and make a note of it in your head, in your heart, even write it down and circle back to it because these emotions and these experiences don't expire. It's not like it doesn't count anymore or doesn't inform anything if it's, you know, an hour, two hours, or even the next day. I think they resonate and we can get right back to them. And I think it's really part of seeing each other as well um, yes. as a parent okay. and even as a spouse. I think about a lot of the couples I work with who are who are trying to rebuild trust and rebuild security in the relationship. This is such a huge task in terms of making this space for each other's big emotions and small emotions and all the emotions in between and just being intentional about caring about that, noting them, talking about them, acknowledging them. I mean, it's, it is, you're right. It's, no, there's nothing efficient about this. There's nothing efficient about it. And here's the other thing that I think stops a lot of people from making this, like if they do see it and they are aware of it, that stops them from going the next step and tending it mm-hmm. is they don't know what to do. Sure. Especially if we've got, if they're those negative emotions that are hotter and harder to hold, it's almost like, well, if I do inquire, even with my child, what if I don't know how to help them? What if I don't know what to do with what's happening inside of them? And so our own insecurity about how to be with another's emotions can keep us from doing that connecting. And so I think one of the things that's really important to know is that when it comes to emotions, the biggest thing that matters is presence. Mm-hmm. What you say, how you say it, not very important. Mo- the biggest thing that makes a difference for people emotionally is just being present with being present when they are having the emotion, just showing up. Yeah, just witnessing it. Witnessing it, being acknowledging it, mm-hmm. being present with them. I see you're sad. I'm here. Right. So leaving you somebody don't have to have any magic, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And if anything, I know in my own experience, when I stop being present with the other person's emotions because I'm thinking about what I need to fix or solve or or I'm starting to panic myself about what's coming up, that's that's when you lose the connection to yourself to them and yeah. uh, it actually complicates it. But yeah, it actually is not in theory it's not that hard in terms of what we need to do. But I get that the felt experience of it is messier sometimes. (laughs) Felt experience is messier. And I go back to the cultural context we're all in. Yeah. That it's almost like when we have these harder emotions, we think we need to fix them so they go away. Instead of, they're going to move through just like every other emotions move through us. That's what they do. So we just need to be with it. Mm -hmm. And time and space it needs to move through whatever that looks like. Instead of thinking, I need to fix this so that it goes away. Yeah. So that my child quits being sad, so that my partner quits being angry, so that you don't have to make it go away. You just have to be present with it. Yeah, that's beautiful. No, this is great. I hope listeners, as you're connecting to what Michelle's saying around creating space for emotions, I, I'm curious, even if you can just right now, even check in with yourself, do you feel yourself slowing down? Do you feel some space inside? Are you giving yourself permission to tap in? Do you feel yourself speeding up, wanting this to like maybe get over with and let move us have us move on to a different topic? <laughs> That's all good information for you about how you're handling it. Would you say anything more to our listeners about that, Michelle? What they should be paying what they could be paying attention to right now? No, I think you just did a lovely little mindful minute with them yeah. of helping them again direct their awareness down inside and see what's happening. Mm-hmm. 
And so it can be that simple. It's all good information. That's maybe that's maybe what I would add. It does not have to be called. It can be that simple. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's so much data just available right now with just what's happening, even listening to the two of us talk about something like this. The material is like endless. We have it coming up, bubbling up all the time, which is great. Yeah. And, it, and it can direct us in such lovely ways toward the things that matter to us and away from the things that would hurt us. So yeah, well, this yeah. is great. I, I love your examples and your insight on this and, and the way you, you wrap some uh, words around this for all of us. So thank you so much. Any last thoughts before we sign off on this episode? No, I just, I enjoy the conversation. I think this is a conversation that is so needed mm-hmm. and I hope your listeners will have enjoyed it and also just that they are able to practice that really just simple bringing their awareness to themselves. And it's going to enrich their worlds enormously when they do that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's a great way to phrase it. It will enrich their world. It's not something we need to avoid or be afraid of or, mm-hmm. or minimize. It's, it's an opportunity. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you, Michelle, for the great work you're doing. And I'll definitely put links in the show notes so people can find you and read your fantastic blog, which is how I found you. I just uh, can't recommend it any higher. I hope you guys will check out some of her work. She's a regular contributor on her blog and, and has some fantastic resources. So thanks for your time, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me be here today. If you want to learn more about Michelle and the great work that she's doing, you can find her at relationalrecovery.com and also at partnerhope.com. And I'll put links to all of those in the show notes as well as her social media links where you can find her easily and follow her and check out the great work that she's doing. Thank you, Michelle, for joining me. It was so great to have you on here and I can't wait to share our next interview with my audience. And thank all of you for listening. It's just great to know there's a community of people out there committed to healing relationships. And I definitely wanna be a resource for all of you Come follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'd love to connect with you there. And you can also visit my website, From Crisis to Connection, and find some fantastic resources there, online courses, past episodes of this podcast, my really weekly relationship column, and other things. So go check that out. Once again, thanks for listening. If you find this information helpful, take a minute and go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and a review. I'd love to get this information out to more people and let people know that there are fantastic resources to help them in their recoveries. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode.